At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up for Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And we've got a superb podcast for you. It's in segment number two. Our good friend from Beeson, Jeff Parles, is going to be joining me. We're going to be diving into taking a look at some of these playoff races, some of the pivotal games that are going to be going down for Wednesday, and just what he makes in general out of so many of the contenders as. This is a podcast that is being brought to you by Prop 27 and DraftKings. As we know, most places around the country, they have legalized sports betting for all. And why should Californians be left out as so many people out there in cities like New York, Portland, Chicago, list goes on and on. They're able to legally sports bet. Meanwhile, California, they are currently left out of the fold. So... Voting on Prop 27 helps California finally be able to catch up. So vote yes on Prop 27 as that is going to be interesting to take a look at one of those teams in California as well. The LA Dodgers who they are currently the team with the top record in the National League. Will they be coming out on top? We'll also be discussing that with Jeff. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNNR41. Keep in mind, letters ZM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other way, it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. Terrible fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but had a fun day of baseball on Tuesday. Going to need to leave off some of the West Coast games because Greg Peterson experiences now every Monday through Friday, midnight to 3 out there on the East Coast. Technically, Sunday through Thursday if you're out here on the West Coast as it's 9 to midnight. So I have to do this a little bit earlier, but we've seen some great action here in baseball on Tuesday and also dust up the late games from Monday as well. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to another. He seems a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Late games on Monday saw the San Francisco Giants Bust through on the Sunday Night Baseball fade teams that play on Monday after playing Sunday Night Baseball. Now 9-17 and 17 after Monday with the Giants getting it done by a count of 3-2. Spencer Strider gives up three runs, two of which were earned on nine hits and nine strikeouts. Still in Lee, A.J. Minter, a combined three scoreless innings from there. But Alex Cobb, seven scoreless innings. Zach Liddell tried to give the game away, and he was not happy when he was pulled by Gabe Kapler. But that said, the San Francisco Giants, they get it done as it was Mr. Willie Calhoun who wanted coming up clutch for the team late in this one as well. So that was big for the San Francisco Giants and the Dodgers. They were able to completely shut out the air, send a Diamondback 6-0. Tyler Anderson, 7 scoreless settings. Evan Phillips, Phil Beckford, scoreless settings from there. And Mookie Betts, home run number 34 of the season off of Keenan Middleton. Middleton gives up three runs in an inning as Ryan Nelson, the rookie, had six scoreless settings and then the bullpen gave up six runs in three innings with Kyle Nelson giving up three runs without getting an out. Kevin Ginkle, Caleb Smith had to get a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. And then on Tuesday, we wound up seeing a double dip between the Pirates 
Pirates and the Reds, and the Pirates take both. 6-1, final in game number one. As for Pittsburgh, trio of home runs in this one. Brian Reynolds, 23rd home run season. Cal Mitchell, his fifth, and Cabrian A's gets home run number seven. As for Cincinnati, Luis Sessa gives up three bombs, five runs in total, and five and two-thirds. Angus Hunter circling one run, give it up in an inning. As he wound up having two and a third inning scoreless out of Kyle Doughty, and... For the Reds, just nothing doing on offense as Yohan Oviedo, five scoreless saying Zach Thompson, two and two-thirds saying giving up a run from there, and many Benuelos cleans it up, getting the final four outs of the game scoreless, and then for the Pirates, they win 1-0 to zero in game two as young Luis Ortiz gets his first start with the Pirates, five and two-thirds innings, allows just one hit, J.C. Young, one and a third innings, and Yohan Ramirez, Dwayne Underwood, they go scoreless in their inning of work, and well, for the Pirates, not a lot of offense, but Kevin Newman, a RBI single in the seventh inning. That was enough to get it done in a Cincinnati Reds bullpen game, and the Reds bullpen actually didn't look bad in this one. Alexis, he has a scoreless inning. Ian Gabot, Revier, Sam Martin, they combined for what wound up being four scoreless innings as he had one run given up in two and a third innings by Renel Espino, called up from the minors, and five outs of the bullpen scoreless from the opener in Fernando Cruz. Pitching did their part. The offense, it did not. Same can be said for the Miami Marlins, who they lose another Sandy Alcantara start 2-1, to one, as for Sandy, he did wind up allowing a home run to Nick Mayton. Second time in the last two times he has faced off against Sandy Alcantara, he took him deep. Home run number five of the season, but for Alcantara, still a good start. He gives up two runs with that home run over the course of seven innings. Tommy Nance, Cole Solzer from there, a scoreless setting, but long form of offense for Miami. Brian De La Cruz, eighth home run season of a Bailey Falter, as Falter did not live up to his name, giving up a one run. That's all run over the course of six innings. From there, Jose Alvarado, Sir Anthony Dominguez, David Robertson, all lend a scoreless inning. The Astros take down the Detroit Tigers by a count of six to three. As for Houston, the offense is back. Jordan Alvarez, back-to-back games with multiple hits. Second home run in the last three games, 33rd of the campaign. He goes deep off the start of Drew Hutchinson and Hutchinson. He also served one up to Kyle Tucker. 26th home run season for Tucker. Yoli Gurriel, a little bit later on, goes deep off of Andrew Chafin. His eighth home run season as Chafin gives up two runs over the course of an inning. Jose Cicero, Daniel Norris both give a scoreless inning and Alex laying a pair of outs at the bullpen. But for Hutchinson, gives up four runs in five and a third innings, including two home runs. And did have Cody Clements go deep off of Mr. Hector Neris. Fourth home run season as for Houston. Good start out of the young gun in Hunter Brown, who gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Hector Neris gives up that home run over the course of his inning before Rafael Montero and Ryan Presley both clean things up with a scoreless inning. The Angels, they go on the road and they lose the Cleveland Guardians by a count of three to one. As Jose Suarez gives up three runs in five and a third innings. For Cleveland, they were able to get the deep ball going with Oscar Gonzalez, eighth of the season. And I believe that he's got five home runs this month. He's actually been very hot for the Cleveland Guardians. And Cody Morris, you figured he was going to be an opener plus and he gave up one run on five walks and three and two-thirds innings. It was an adventure, and he gave up a home run along the way as it was home run number two of the season for Matt Theus. That ends a home run streak of seven straight games for Mike Trout. That was fun while it lasted, but Kirk McCarty, the long guy, three and a third inning, scoreless, James Karinczak, Emmanuel Classe, scoreless, eighth and ninth innings. So the Guardians, they continue their winning ways as being able to continue their winning ways as well in game number one of their doubleheader, the Tampa Bay Rays. Four to two, they wind up taking out the Toronto Blue Jays. As for the Rays, they go one of eight with men in scoring position, but Jeffrey Springs was amazing. Six scoreless things, John Armstrong comes out of the bullpen, gives up two runs and one and two thirds things before Pete Fairbanks cleans up the final four out scoreless, and he gets a save 
Blue Jays, one of eight with men in scoring positions, training 10 on base. Mitch White as Volkai wasn't terrible. Three runs in six innings surrendered as Julian Merriweather gets the open pretty much. One run surrendered in an inning, David Phelps. He goes to scoreless as the Blue Jays. They had to mix and match as it wound up being Alec Manoa, who was supposed to go in game number one. He instead goes in game number two, and he did a solid job in game number two as the Blue Jays were able to get it done in that one after Manoa gave up two solo home runs in six and two-thirds innings, taking him deep. G-Man Choi, his 10th home run season, and then home run number one of the campaign for young Jonathan Aranda, but for the Rays, they use Yoni Chirinos as pretty much a opener plus for scoreless settings. He looked good, but then Colin Pooch, well, he kicked the pooch on this one, giving up four runs in a third of an inning. We wanted to use something a little bit more tame than the other one, but that said, not great for Colin Pooch as he had two-thirds of an inning from Kevin Hergett. He gave up a run. Garrett Clevenger gives up a run in one and two-thirds innings as well as going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. George Springer, home run number 20 of the campaign for him. And then we've got a lot of games that, as I am recording this, are starting to go final as it is the Baltimore Orioles. They're currently up on the Washington Nationals, and the Nationals did not get the length that they were hoping for out of Corey Abbott. He gave up two runs over the course of three innings from there. Hunter Harvey gives up two runs in one and a third innings with Baltimore getting home run from Ryan Mountcastle. 22nd home run season from there. Bullpen has been solid. Andres Machado with a pair of outs of the bullpen. Jordan Weems, Steve Ciszek, Mason Thompson all end a scoreless setting in for the Nationals. As I record this, they are 1 of 10 with men in scoring position. As for Baltimore, Dean Kramer, after he winds up surrendering three runs in the first three innings, calms down, gives up three runs in total over five innings. From there, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez. Two scoreless settings out of that duo. The Milwaukee Brewers, it looks like they are en route to taking down the St. Louis Cardinals, currently up by a count of 7-4. As I record this, Andrew McCutcheon, 17th home run season. As the bullpen game from them, they had Luis Perdomo essentially be the bulk guy. Gives up a one run in three innings as Matt Bush. He was the opener, and this was not a good open. He got one out, and he gave up two runs before Peter Strzelski gets him out of the first inning. And from there, bullpen has been able to stabilize him for St. Louis. Jordan Montgomery, he looked more like Hickory because he got smoked. Six runs, four of which were earned, surrendered over the course of five innings, including that home run to Andrew McCutcheon. From there, Chris Stratton and Packy Nunn have been piecemealing things together for the Chicago Cubs. They get it done against Jacob DeGrom and the New York Mets as a big, giant underdog as Adrian Sampson delivers a gem. He does give up four walks in six innings, but six scoreless innings. Michael Rucker, one and a third innings, scoreless in the Brandon Hughes. He does allow a home run in the ninth inning, going deep for the New York Mets. Pete Alonso, number 34 of the season, but that's all that the... Uh, Cubs would wind up surrendering as Jacob DeGrom. He got lit up for three runs in this one. Punches out 10, but he also did wind up giving up a deep shot as Ian App takes him yard. 17th home run season and Seth Lugo gives up a home run to David Bodie. Number two of the campaign for him as Lugo gives up a run and an inning at a Montevino. Edwin Diaz, they both deliver a scoreless inning. Yankees and Red Sox going on as I record this. We won't know the final until after this is uploaded, but Aaron Judge home run number 56 of the season and speaking of guys that give up home runs, Garrett Cole for the fifth straight start in Boston. He gives up three plus runs as he gave up a trio of bombs. He gave up four hits. Unfortunately, three of them wound up flying over the fence for four runs over the course of four on Alexander Bogart's 14th home run season. 
Tristan Casas going deep. Home run number two of the season. And Reese McGuire, his first home run season. I don't think they even had any home runs when he was with the Chicago White Sox. And for Boston, Nick Pavetta, he gave up a pair of bombs of his own, giving up three runs in five and a third innings as Marwin Gonzalez take him, took him deep for his fifth home run season. And Aaron Judge has just went deep again. 56th home run season comes off of Pavetta. He gets 57 off of Garrett Woodlock. This is a historic season that we are seeing from him as Woodlock gives up a run in an inning. Ryan Brazier and Matt Barnes piecemeal together three outs without giving up a run. John Schreiber scoreless inning out of him, but ooh, that is looking rough. The Minnesota Twins, they went digging down the Kansas City Royals. Only question is by how much bottom of the eighth inning. They're up 6-0 and they've got men in scoring position as Chris with K. Bubich. Just another pitiful start. Five runs surrendered over the course of five innings. He's allowed three plus in now five out of his last six as going deep for the Twins. Carlos Correa, home run number 20 of the season. Jose Miranda is 15th and then Gio Urshela off of Anthony Machevich gets his 12th home run Caesar for Machevich gives up a run and an inning. Brad Keller has come in in long relief from here. And for the Minnesota Twins, Joe Ryan, seven scoreless innings, has not been great on the road, has done pretty darn solid at home. And Giovanni Moran, he was able to deliver a scoreless inning. Dodgers and Diamondbacks along with Padres, Mariners, and Giants versus Braves just getting started as I start this up and the Oakland A's they look like they're going to be in for a slugfest 7-5 in the 6th inning against the Texas Rangers as all of a sudden the Oakland A's are having someone that could go deep as home run number 3 of the season for Dermis Garcia's for Texas, Cole Reagans, he was thrown around like a rag doll. Seven runs surrendered in four innings. Taylor Hernandez had to come in in long relief. And Marcus Simeon has a pair of doubles in this one. And eight, Elise Garcia, 25th home run season off of Ken Waldachuk. Waldachuk, five innings surrendering five runs. And now it is up to the bullpen from there. And we've been seeing quite a few harebrained results out in Major League Baseball recently. And it's been fascinating to take a look at the trends all season long. As has been a little bit of an underseason, as was... Pretty much hammered in from the beginning part of the campaign where we wound up having that big April of unders. But overall for the season, as I record, 1,028 unders to 966 overs. That is a, about a 51.6% clip to the under. But for favorites, they're hitting at a little bit above 60%, which has went up recently. But you're noticing a lot of home favorites not covering the run line. 791 and 515 is record from favorites. That's 60.6%. But among these home favorites, 245 have failed to cover the run line. And then if you just take a look at the last 60 days in general, the under rate has been 51%, 363 unders, so 349 overs with home favorites in the span going 63.7%, 281 and 160. But once again, home favorites failing to cover the run line, 78 in this span have failed to do so. That, so that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we wound up getting on late Monday and early Tuesday. But coming up next, we talk to our good friend Jeff Parles. Does a great job over at VEASAN. We're going to be taking a look at these playoff races and some games for Wednesday right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of VEASAN Family Podcast. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Las Vegas for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. And it is always great to have this guest aboard as Jeff Parles does absolutely terrific work over here at Beeson. You're able to catch him on the weekends, breaking down a lot of our live football coverage, both college and pro. And I know that he's still doing an amazing job taking a look at the baseball slate on a day in and day out basis for Jeff. He makes it very easy to be able to follow him on Twitter at Jeff Parles, his first name, his last name. Jeff with a J, not a G-E on that. And Jeff, my friend, it is great to have football back, but I know that you're still doing a great job 
in terms of taking a look at baseball. Thank you so much, as usual, for joining me. Doing what I can, man. Doing what I can. Yes, sir, you are. And when it comes to doing what they can, you got a lot of teams doing what they can to be able to make the playoffs as we're about three weeks away from postseason baseball. And going into this home stretch of the season, we're a few teams that either you're starting to warm up on a little bit more as they try to make their push for the postseason, or maybe you're starting to cool down on them just a tad as well because it's been very interesting to watch some of these contenders either slide or really be able to hit their stride here in the last few weeks. I'll start in the NL. Forget the Dodgers. The Dodgers were so good that they clinched the playoff berth twice in the past few days, Greg, as you saw. Look, if you look at the NL side of it, I'm going to stand pat to what I've said the whole time. It's really three teams are going to be able to to win the National League. And I know the Cardinals have played well over the last six weeks, but I just think they match up in a five-game series at least very poorly with whoever ends up winning the National League East, unless if the Mets completely don't hit in that series, which we have seen over the last few weeks, or they just catch the Braves on the right five games, which, as we know, in a very small sample size, wild stuff can happen in the Major League Baseball playoffs. But I think the NL, it's still – a three-horse race, the Dodgers and the two NL East teams. Uh, the Braves, amazingly enough, have lost three games in a row, and maybe four out of five well, by the time this podcast is live. I think in the end, in the NL side, still the Dodgers. I know that's not a hot take at all, but it's still theirs to lose. And on the AL side, the Astros have done it in a way this year, Greg, that I don't think a lot of people have realized if you're casually following along, and you know it. They're not an offensive team this year. They're an amazing run prevention team. That's why they're as dominant as they are. And that's going to be very difficult to beat. But with that said, though, when you have a lackadaisical offense in the playoffs, you could run into trouble. And the one team that I think can beat them is Seattle. Young talent for sure, guys who haven't been there before, but they have a really formidable one, two, three after that trade with Castillo. And even George Kirby would be great after the Castillo, Ray, Gilbert trio that you have at the top. So I guess the Mariners are the team that I would be looking at as the dark horse, probably across all baseball. I agree with that take with the Mariners as they were one of those teams that wanted supplying a lot of those losses to the Atlanta Braves as well as we do have Jeff Parles does a great job over at VEASAN. And when it comes to the Seattle Mariners, I think that it is intriguing that they've had the matchups that they've had the last few weeks because they've been playing a lot of contenders like the Cleveland Guardians. They're coming off of that weekend series against the Atlanta Braves. Now they're playing against the San Diego Padres team that – they should be able to make the playoffs because the Milwaukee Brewers, a very sad state of affairs on that front, especially for myself being someone from the state of Wisconsin. But for the San Diego Padres, I think that's really crucial that they wind up showing well in the series. We don't know what wound up happening in the game on Tuesday, but in the game that we're going to be seeing on Wednesday between the Seattle Mariners and the San Diego Padres, it's going to be Mike Clevenger is going to be taking the mound for them. And I think that this is just a really crucial game in general and a really crucial series for the Padres because they should be in the playoffs, most likely going to be that last wild card seed. And they've got firepower, no question about it, that they want to picking up the trade deadline. It's just all about getting all those pieces online at this point. Well, I mean, that's kind of been it for two years in the second half now, Greg, right? I mean, last year they just totally melted in September. This year, again, I still expect them to be in the playoffs, whether it be wild card number two or wild card number three on the National League side. This is a nice little litmus test for them. After, let's face it, not the greatest of series against the Dodgers over the weekend. I would say, yeah, Greg, you have to see what the Padres are able to do this last few weeks against better competition. Their schedule is not the easiest one down in the stretch. So curious to see what we get out of Clevenger against a good offense. And for Seattle, too. I mean, Seattle's playing important games, Greg. 
that number four seed is squarely up for grabs in the American League. So getting those three games in your ballpark, especially when you haven't been in the playoffs since 2001 in front of that crowd that was awesome all weekend against the Braves and will be awesome against the Padres, these are important games on both sides here. I totally agree. I do think that these are going to be crucial games for really both of these teams as well, because for the Seattle Banners, they should be able to make the postseason, but you just never know when it comes to that American League East has joined me on the podcast. We do have Jeff Parles of Easton, and I mentioned it, in the American League East, things are harebrained, and I don't expect the Yankees to wind up blowing the lead, but it has not been a great state of affairs for them. They are going to have Nestor Cortez going up against Brian Bayo on Wednesday, but with the Yankees, I think that's just all about them getting healthy. No question. This is not the same team that wound up having that dramatic start to the season, and they were just playing above their skis at that point. And I don't believe that they're quite as bad as they have been performing here towards back half of the season. But I do think that it still has to be very concerning what has happened with the New York Yankees. And I don't even know if getting back all their pieces is going to be able to restore what they wound up doing towards the first half of the season because this has been a Yankees team that – Really, ever since the All-Star break, it's been either Aaron Judge hits a bunch of home runs or the team loses. You can't really expect any team to play at that pace like they did in the first 88 games. I mean, just historic how well they played. And, of course, the Braves have been able to do that basically over the last 80, 90 games in the NL side. And it may not be enough to win the NL East, but on the Yankees side, look, no one's catching them in the AL East. The Rays had their chance. They needed to essentially sweep all six games in those two series, they didn't do that. They split the, the six. For the postseason for the Yankees, they need to get healthy, Greg. And they need their guys back. If Rizzo's unable to be healthy, same with LeMahieu, they're done. They're not winning two playoff series. They could beat, let's say, the AL Central winner wins that best of three against whoever the sixth seed is. They'll have a chance to beat Cleveland or Minnesota or the White Sox, even though the White Sox have obviously been different since Larissa had to step away for health concerns. I would say that the Yankees, obviously the Yankees will win the division. I don't see them being able to win multiple playoff series in order to make the World Series, though. I don't think so either. And when it comes to the World Series contenders, I think that that is an interesting topic to dive into. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Jeff Parles, because I think it's very fair to say that the Astros, we've alluded to it, they're the top team in the American League. And if you're the top team in either one of the leagues, that should, by default, wind up making you a World Series contender. But I just feel like the National League has more contenders in general because outside of the Houston Astros, I think that would be a little bit far-fetched for a team to be able to make a run. And I'm sort of in line with you. I do think that if there is an American League team not named the Astros that can make that run and win the World Series, I'm in the camp that the Seattle Mariners might be that team. But in the National League, I feel like it's a little bit more wide open just because there is so much more talent. Like, I wouldn't be stunned if the St. Louis Cardinals make a run with the way that Jordan Montgomery has been able to fortify that rotation along with Jose Quintana and the way that they hit. Obviously, the LA Dodgers, you alluded to them being the team to beat. They're going to be the one seed in the playoffs. But teams like the New York Mets, if they're able to stay healthy, that is a big if, if you're able to have Max Scherzer and Jake McGraw out there. But if you do, look out below for them. Obviously, the Atlanta Braves. The Philadelphia Phillies are not a team that I think could make that run, but it's not like it would be the most shocking thing in the world if they do. So I just take a look at the entirety of the National League and pretty much any team that is able to get into the field and get into the playoffs, I feel like is live to be able to win this thing. I don't see it with the Phillies and the Padres and we'll throw the Brewers in that, Greg. I just don't think those teams have enough to win in order to make the World Series, those teams would have to win three series in order to make the World Series. Four to win it all, I just don't see it. 
the Cardinals and the Braves, really the, the top, go back to what I said before, I think the Cardinals are equipped below the, the NLEs teams who are slightly below the Dodgers. If the Mets are healthy and at least get some sort of offense, you're going to have to face DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett in all five of a DS series, or at least four or five. And then in a championship series, you're going to have to face those guys six times. It's going to be a very difficult, uh, a very difficult ask for any of those teams to beat that pitching all in one swoop. Now, of course, what could happen with the Mets is offense goes dark, like we've seen in, in these last few weeks, and they lose games two one, one nothing, three to two. That's absolutely in play. But look, I, I think the champion, even though again, I think the Dodgers are the team to beat in a rightful one. The winner of the National League East, I think, is going to be the one who ends up winning winning the NL, Greg. Because whoever that is will not have to face the Dodgers in the division series. And then we'll get either the Dodgers or whoever finishes second off of what I think will be a more difficult series. It doesn't matter who it is. Greg, you finish Dodgers-Braves. And then your reward of that is to face DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett for six games? That's pretty tough. Yeah, that's really tough. I am right there with you. And I think that the National League, whoever winds up coming out of that side of the bracket, they are going to have certainly earned it as I think that things are going to be very hot and heavy out there in the American League. I mean, the Cleveland Guardians are a team that I just don't know if they have enough hitting to be able to win a World Series or an intriguing team, but there's certainly much more intrigue, in my opinion, out there in the National League. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Jeff Parles, who does a great job over at Vison and just taking a look at the Wednesday card as well. One of those teams that we've been talking about quite a bit is the Atlanta Braves, who I feel like since the beginning of the month of June have played the best baseball in all have played the best baseball in the entire league. And they're gonna have Charlie Morton on the mound going up against Carlos Rodon of the San Francisco Giants with Game Uchi and Atlanta Braves are slight favorite in anywhere between about minus one fifteen to minus one twenty as we record this. And I do think that it is important for the Atlanta Braves to make a little bit of a statement, try to be able to go on the road and win some of these games. Obviously, the San Francisco Giants have played themselves out of the postseason, but Carlos Rodon, still one of the most quality pitchers they are going to find out there in the big leagues. And if the Atlanta Braves are able to get it done here, it strengthens them trying to be able to win the NL East because we know that the Mets have a little bit of an easier schedule. And on top of that, I think that in general, it just is going to be important for their psyche because Morton, probably going to be a number three, number four starter moving forward for this team in the postseason. And if he's able to get a win over a guy like a Carlos Rodon, that says quite a bit about the Braves. Well, look, Rodon is coming off an interesting start in Chicago. We're getting deeper in the calendar, and that's usually when Charlie Morton does his best work, especially of recent years. So no bet for me in this one. Uh, again, you, I'm monitoring all these games. I'm trying to usher a bunch of good numbers from early in the season home on Mets and at least futures. It's just one of those for me with the Braves. They have played so well for so long now. At some point, they're going to have a run where things don't always go their way. At some point, they're going to lose 6 out of 10. We have not seen that from Atlanta since May. So at some point, the regression is going to come. Maybe they're in the middle of it right now with three straight losses. With the Braves, they were just doing for a little bit of regression after coming out so hot as they did. But I do think that it's going to be a very interesting game on Wednesday. And when it comes to the board that we are seeing on Wednesday, are there any other games that are really catching your eye? Because one for me is the Brewers versus the St. Louis Cardinals. Brewers' slight favor with Corbin Burns on the mound against Adam Wright of the St. Louis Cardinals. Brewers not mathematically eliminate from the playoffs, but it would take quite a run for them to make the playoffs, and they would need a lot of losses from the San Diego Padres. And, well, if the Brewers are going to be able to make the playoffs, they cannot afford to lose a, another Corbin Burns chart 
the rest of the season. That is one that I think is going to be a fascination. Do you have any other games that are really standing out to you or any thoughts in terms of Brewers versus Cardinals for Wednesday? Well, I mean, that's Burns and Wainwright. That's pretty good, right, Greg? Oh, pretty yeah. Good pitching match. Very important, again, for Milwaukee to win all the Burns starts left on the board, regardless of who the opponent is. Greg, I'm making sure tonight. Do I have this flipped on my screen? Is Stripling a favorite against Rasmussen, or is that reversed? Stripling is between minus 110 to minus 120. Very slight favorite. Okay, I like Tampa in that. Rasmussen has pitched very well of late. Again, the one thing we've talked about with Toronto, Greg, and on this podcast when I've been with you, is Toronto has Kevin Gosman, who's awesome, Alec Bonneau, who's awesome, and then a lot of question marks in that rotation because Barry, Barrios has just not been himself this year. Mitch went just the guy who was there throwing in, and he's not as good. And then there's Stripling, who, let's face it, if Toronto's going to win a playoff series and advance past not just a wild card series, a division series, they're probably going to need Stripling to start at least one game. I'm curious to see how he looks, but I would look – Take Rasmussen and that one uh, north of the border and the Rays in that Wednesday game. Yep, that is a big one for both teams because they're fighting for number two in the American League. And as we know, whoever winds up finishing above the other, they are most likely going to get the better wild card spot. Unless if the Yankees just continue to completely torpedo down the board. And you could wind up seeing that as well as the Yankees. They're now between minus 120 to minus 130 against Brian Bayo of the Boston Red Sox. So that goes to show you where. New York Yankees, but where we are at on this podcast is having a great guest. Jeff, you do absolutely amazing work over at VEASAN. I know that you're doing a lot on the weekends, taking a look at live college football and live NFL coverage, being able to give out live betting numbers, what you like in game. So you do a great job on that front, and I know you've got a lot of irons in the fire, so let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and everything they've got going on in general. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff Parles, uh, on the tweets, and that's the easiest way to figure out what I'm doing these days, Hoops. And Jeff, he's always doing amazing work and always brings it whenever he's on this podcast. A big thanks to Jeff Parles of Eason for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Eason Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MOB Wednesday as we touch them all. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. It is always great to get our good friend Jeff Parles of VEASAN aboard. He's doing a great job taking us through all the weekend action that we wind up seeing in terms of college football and the NFL does great work at the network, following a little bit of everything, and was a pleasure to have him aboard today. Big thanks to Jeff for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNNRSquarty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas Station or this is where we go with the National League games first, and the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive into our first game of 901-902 on the betting board. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates. They walk the plank on the road to go to Cincinnati. We are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Nicoladolo getting the start, and Oronsi Contreras is going to be going 
for the Buccos. Pirates between plus 135 and plus 140 underdogs. Minus 150 to minus 155. The number on Cincinnati, 8 to 8.5 is the total on the 8 over is minus 115. Under is minus 105 on the 8.5. Under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. Needed at least a plus 120 to fire in on the Pittsburgh Pirates and certainly have gotten there. I have liked what I've seen out of Aronsi Contreras and for the Cincinnati Reds. Bullpen has been a little bit better post-All-Star week, but they still have one of the worst bullpens in the big leagues along with the Pittsburgh Pirates for that matter. But you look at Aronsi Contreras and what he's been able to do. Four earned runs surrendered over the course of his last four starts against Atlanta, Philadelphia, Toronto, and St. Louis. These are good teams that he's mowing down right now. The one issue that you've got, two plus walks in each out of his last five starts overall for the season. His walks per nine rate about 4.2, 4.3, but this guy has been tremendous. 338 road ERA, 322 home ERA, so he has clearly been able to get the job done. Last time he went up against the Reds, he allowed one run over the course of six innings, and for Nick Lodolo, over 11 strikeouts per nine innings on his front, and he's been significantly better at home. 257 home ERA, 563 ERA on the road, giving up just three home runs in 49 innings at Great American Ballpark. That is not easy to do. Both of these teams backed up by bad bullpens and a pair of bad bullpens that wound up having to play a double dip yesterday. So they aren't going to be getting a lot of help on that front. Chase DeYoung has been really the best reliever for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Sub 2-5 ERA. He's able to give you multiple innings and then Will Crow's not been half bad either. That's that bullpen you really want to have no faith in whatsoever. But Cincinnati writes Alexis Diaz has been rock solid. Sub 3 ERA on his front. And then you do have a couple guys like Buck Farmer, even Ian Gabo have been a little bit better. But once again, not a lot of guys that you ought to be trusting in on their front either. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's been all about Brian Reynolds this season. Reynolds has been able to supply 23-plus home runs. He's hitting in that neighborhood about a 255 to a 260. And then past that, Michael Chavis, Cal Mitchell, Ben Gamble, Cabrian Hayes, during between about a 235 to a 245. But you've got guys like Taylor Heineman, Gregory Allen, Belay Madres, Jax Wozniski. You're able to go down the list of guys hitting below a 225. And for the Cincinnati Reds, very top-heavy lineup of their own. TJ Fridell has been able to move the line along. Jonathan India, both hitting in that pocket about a 260. Donovan Solano is able to a 300. Kyle Farmer does a solid job of being able to move the line, but then you get into guys like Stuart Fairchild, Chucky Robinson, RDC Days Aquino, hitting a 225 or lower. Neither of these teams necessarily have a lot of home run power, so at an 8.5, I would look at an under. 8, I think, is just a little bit too low for Great American Ballpark, coupled with these bullpens, and right now, what I've got available to me is a bunch of 8, so I'd be willing to take an 8 over, but getting plus 120 or greater with the Pirates, willing to nibble there. Love what I've seen out of Ronci Contreras. 903-904 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves at the road face off against the San Francisco Giants. Carlos Rodon is going to be going for the Giants, and Charlie Morton is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. The Braves, between minus 115 and minus 120 favorites. Even money to plus 108 is the number on San Francisco. 7.5 is the total. Over and under, both at minus 110. I made the Braves minus 122 favorites. For Carlos Rodon, he's had a little bit of a rough time. Second half of the season, not all his fault. The defense behind him has been far from terrific and he's still been mowing them down. Carlos Rodon, over 11 strikeouts per 9 innings and has been able to do his best work at home. 222 home ERA, 351 ERA on the road, but you check out his last 5 starts. He's been posting up an ERA right around about a 286, so it's been right on par with regards to his averages overall for the season. Walks per 9 rate in that time span has been right around a 3, but now you have to go up against an Atlanta Braves team that 
They've got so many bats in that lineup as Austin Riley. He entered into yesterday with five home runs over the course of his last 11 games as he, Dansby Swanson, Michael Harris the second, only above a 280 with Harris hitting above a 300. Von Grisham has been hitting above a 300 as well. Matt Olson, 28 home runs. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been consistent in terms of on-base percentage. And the Giants, they just don't have that in their offense. Jacques Peterson, he's been able to supply 22 home runs. And Wilmer Flores has been able to go deep quite a bit as well as Flores are on their Evan Longoria, someone like a Luis Gonzalez, are in between about a 245 to a 255, but a lot of these guys have been unable to stay healthy and really rely upon righty-lefty splits, which have not been as good this year as they were a season before. Jack Peterson hitting about a 265, but this bullpen for the San Francisco Giants not really helping about John Brebbia, Camilo Duvall, Alex Young, these guys are posting a sub-3-2 ERA, but for the Atlanta Braves, they've got a significantly better bullpen. Jackson Stevens, he's able to supply multiple innings overall for the season. He's posting up a sub-3-8 ERA. You've had Tyler Mazik, Dylan Lee do a nice job holding it down. Rossi Iglesias has been solid. And whenever he's been with the Atlanta Braves, Jesse Chavez has been able to do a solid job. And for Charlie Morton, the strikeout numbers are still there. He's had an advanced age, and walks are starting to creep up on him. For Charlie Morton, about 3.3, 3.4 walks. Per nine innings, but that strikeouts per nine rate is still above 10. Opponents are just a 2.25 off of them. Now take caution with the 5.28 road ERA, but now he's pitching in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark out in San Francisco. And much of that wound up happening towards the beginning part of the season. He has given up six home runs over the course of his last five starts. I do think that that is going to be tamed down a little bit in this circumstance, as well as in his first start against San Francisco, gave up two runs over the course of seven innings. So was able to do a solid job on that front. I do think that the Atlanta Braves back up Charlie Morton very well. And I do think that he's going to be able to go up, give a relatively solid start, which is why I want to lay up to a minus 122 with the Braves. I do think that Carlos Rodon gives a good start, but I also think that the San Francisco offense, which has been very inconsistent recently, is going to be stymied. So, somebody tell us 7.3 looking under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Braves up to a minus 122, 905, 906 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins say playoffs to the Philadelphia Phillies as Kyle Gibson goes for the Phillies, and Edward Cabrera is on the bump for Miami. 7.5 is the total over and under, both at minus 110 for the Phillies and between minus 125 and minus 130 is a number and you've got between plus 110 and plus 118 on the Miami Marlins was willing to take pretty much anything of a plus 110 or greater with the Miami Marlins so I'm going to be one to fire in Kyle Gibson last time he faced off against the Miami Marlins a team that entering into Tuesday had scored three runs or fewer in 32 of their last 37 games while his nickname should have been Hickory because he got smoked giving up four runs in five innings including two home runs to a Miami Marlins team that entered into the game on Tuesday with nobody having more than eight home runs for the season that is currently healthy. I mean, it's just sad. With this Miami Marlins bunch, as you do have Charles LeBlanc hitting above a 275, and Garrett Cooper, he's moved the line hitting about a 260. When he's been out there, John Birdie has been okay, but he's been unable to stay healthy as guys like Brian De La Cruz, J.J. Blade, they have been horrible. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, no doubt this is a better lineup. Bryce Harper, since coming back off of injury, has just one home run, but it's been able to move the line. Alec Bohm, Gene Segura, Nick Mayton are laying between about a 280 to a 295. Kyle Schwarber needs to shape up with the batting average, but he and Reese Hoskins have been able to combine for 65 home runs this season. JT Rimuto has been arguably the best inning catcher in baseball since the beginning of the month of July. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they're going to be able to back up Kyle Gibson with a solid bullpen as they've got Sir Anthony Dominguez back off the injured list. Brad Ann, David Robertson, both 
both of these guys are dishing out a sub-2-5 ERA as well. Even Connor Brogdon has been able to do a solid job. And for the Miami Marlins, this is not a great bullpen, but it's not a terrible bullpen either. Steve Okert has been able to supply a sub-3-3 ERA. Uskar Blazobin is somebody like Richard Blyer has been able to dish out about a 3-1-5 ERA. Don't throw more around a 3-30. So these guys have been good, but what has been really good is Edward Cabrera's. Edward Cabrera had one bad start a few starts ago, but past that, it has been pretty rock solid and steady for him as he just does a good job in general of being able to avoid hard contact. He's given up about one home run per nine innings. He's gotten 10 strikeouts per nine innings, 263 ERA overall. Now, this is actually a 422 at home compared to a buck 62 on the road, which I do find to be a little bit befuddling, but he has been very good recently. I mentioned the one bad start he had against the LA Dodgers, giving up six runs and five and two-thirds innings. Past that, in his other four starts over the course of his last five, he's given up a grand total of four runs, and for that matter, four runs over the course of his five starts, excluding that LA Dodgers start that he's had since coming off the injured list as well. So, other than against the Dodgers, he doesn't allow runs to anyone. I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job against Philly's team that and Kyle Gibson struggling a little bit now. Very pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in Miami. I think that it's scoring, once again, going to be at a premium. Semi-total at 6.6. So, I'm taking a look at the under. Being able to get plus 110 or greater. Willing to take a shot on Miami as well. 907-908 on the bank board. The New York Mets, a play OC Chicago Cubs. As Drew Smiley goes for the Cubs and for the Mets, it's good LTB determined. So, this is a game that's off the board and it's looking like our good friend David Peterson, great name, is probably going to be getting the start. And if it is Mr. Peterson against Mr. Smiley, I'd be setting the New York Mets as a minus 220 favorite. We will lay up to about a minus 120 on the run line with an 8 or less being a shot on the over in terms of the total 8.5 or higher to the under for David Peterson. Has been a good strikeout guy. He's been able to get about 10.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. Does need to shape it up in terms of walks as he has been giving up about 4 walks per 9 innings. But you take a look at Peterson. Actually been a little bit worse at home rather than on the road despite the 5-1 record. 3.80 home ERA. 3.16 ERA on the road. Not necessarily giving up the deep ball. But once again, walks have hurt him and opponents hit about a 2.60 off of him when he is at home. Drew Smiley. Strikeout numbers are down. A few seasons ago, he was able to have a little bit of a career rebirth when he was with the San Francisco Giants being able to get a bunch of strikeouts. That has not been the case from this season as he's registering about 7.7 strikeouts per nine innings while giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings. So, tad bit of an issue there for Drew Smiley when he's been on the road. The ERA is shot up to a 4.45 compared to a 2.38 at home. And the big reason why he gives up right around 1.4 to 1.5 home runs per nine innings when he is on the road and now has to go up against a Mets team that it's got a lot of consistency. Towards the the fold, the catcher spot in general has been a little bit grody, but Mark Canna, Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, Pete Alonso, all in between a 265 to a 275 with Alonso supplying 33 home runs. You've had Francisco Lundor be able to supply north of 90 RBI, 23 home runs of his own. Eduardo Escobar, 17 home runs. He's looked a little bit better since coming off the injured list. And for the Chicago Cubs, they've been dealing with some ailments. So Patrick Wisdom, top home run hitter for the team, is back. He was on pace to be able to get 200 strikeouts this season prior to going on the injured list. But still have a few guys able to move the line. C.A. Suzuki coupled with Ian App in between about a 262, 270. Alfonso Rivas, David Bodie, Rafael Ortega, a lot of guys sitting in that 235 to 245 sort of pocket as well. And if had Christopher Morrell do a solid job of being able to move the line with the Mets. Big thing for this team is being able to have that bridge to be able to get to Edwin Diaz and Seth Lugo has been much better recently. Sub-3 ERA, both also break. Adam Adovino has been solid couple with Tommy Hunter. Both of these guys have been able to supply a sub-3 ERA. And for the Cubs, one of the main pieces 
for this bullpen towards the beginning of the season. Michael Givens, he's on the flip side for the Mets. He's had his struggles with the New York Mets, but he has been missed by this bullpen as someone like a Rowan Wick has been inconsistent all season long. Brandon Hughes has been able to do a solid job, but when guys like Eric Uman and company are being looked to for some critical innings, not necessarily where you want to be, which is why eight or less looking at an over despite the fact that it's very pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in New York, eight and a half prior to the under end with the Mets. Made the minus 228 on the money line, so a plus 220 or greater would be willing to take shot on the Cubs and want to lay up to a minus 120 on the run line of the Metropolitans as well. 909-910 on the betting board. It is the Milwaukee Brewers and the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. We know Adam Wainwright goes for the cards and Corbin Burns as I break out the old English accent for the Brewers. Minus 115 to minus 120 is the number on the crew and you've got even money to plus 105 on St. Louis. 7 is the total over and under both a minus 110 with the Brewers was one lay up to a minus 124. Corbin Burns had a really bad stretch where he had given up 5 plus runs in 3 straight starts. He was able to straighten that out. Last time out against a San Francisco Giants team that we talk about the Brewers and how they flailed towards the second half of the season really post trade deadline and, well, the Giants are in that fold as well, giving up just one run on 14 strikeouts, but for Corbin Burns, he's always been able to have some relatively good success against the St. Louis Cardinals. Last time he hit the road to face off against the Cards, gave up one run over the course of seven innings, and for Corbin Burns, just in general, he's been able to do a little bit of a better job on the road than at home, even during his Cy Young campaign that was that way. 310 home ERA, 273 ERA on the road, and the big reason why, he's been able to lessen the deep ball when he has been on the road, less than a home run per nine innings when he is on the road, and then when he at home. He's been giving up more like 1.2 home runs per nine innings, so that has been a little bit of intrigue the last few seasons in general when it comes to Burns, but he is also still getting right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings. And then for Wayno, it's been very interesting to watch him because he's been so much better at home rather than on the road. 265 home ERA, 431 ERA on the road, and for Wainwright, has done a better job of being able to tame the Watts towards the beginning part of the season. He was really giving them out. Has given out just six walks over the course of his last five starts across 29 and two-thirds innings. Has been a little bit worse for him recently, giving up eight runs over the course of his last two starts. And the last time he wound up facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers, I think that he was actually going up against Corbin Burns while he was at home. And in that start, he wound up being able to do a solid job of his own complete game, giving up one run in pretty much a 3-2 10 inning loss for the St. Louis Cardinals. So Wainwright did his part. The rest of the team did not. But for the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got a pair of guys that have been able to go deep all season long. Nolan Arenado coupled with Paul Goldschmidt. He combined 63 home runs entering into the game on Tuesday with Arenado. He's hitting very nearly a 300 along Corey Dickerson. And Dickerson post-also break. Hitting north of a 375 Albert Pujols post-also break. Has been hitting a 340. He is on watch to be able to get that home run number 700. He has been amazing since the all-star break. And Brendan Donovan at home has been able to hit above a 350. Meanwhile for the Brewers, they just need that one table setter bad as you do have Christian Yelich under Renfro, Mike Barrasso hitting between about a 250 to a 265. But for the Brewers, what they do well on offense is be able to supply the deep balls. William Adamas, Hunter Renfro, and Rowdy Tellez all have been able to hit at least 24 home runs this season. With Renfro, he's been able to hit about a 255 as well. So they've been able to get good power, but I do think that with the Brewers, because they did wind up having to use up a bullpen game yesterday, that is going to hurt them a little bit. Good news is when Corbin Burns is firing all cylinders, he typically goes six plus innings, and Devin Williams has still been a solid closer ever since he's had to take over the role itself with Josh Hader on the fold. He's been a little bit more shaky, but you take a look at him over the last three days, still posting up about a 270 ERA. Brad Boxberger has been able to supply a sub-3 ERA as well, but guys like Hobie Milner, Brent Suter have not been too 
tremendous. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Genesis Cabrera. Ryan Helsley has been rock solid, posting up a sub-2 ERA, but Peggy Don being back in the fold. That helps him in terms of length. Hasn't necessarily been too tremendous out of the bullpen. Zach Thompson has been underrated. He's been posting up a about a 2 ERA as well, but I do think the, the advantage in this circumstance does wind up going to Corbin Burns. Adam Wainwright has been very lucky that he has only given up about 0.75 home runs per nine innings. I do think that there is going to be a little bit of negative regression for the older gentlemen. So I did wind up saying the Brewers as a favorite to where I'm willing to lay it. I was willing to lay up to a minus 124 with them. I did wind up saying my total is 7.3. Corbin Burns has been a little bit more shaky. Both of these lineups, they're able to go deep, even though it is a little bit of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. So looking at the over and going to be taking a look at the Brewers. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. It is the LA Dodgers on the road facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. As Zach Davies goes for the Snakes and Good old TV determined is going to be on the bump for the Dodgers, which is why this game is off the board. Earlier, I was seeing Dustin May as he projected starter on ESPN, and if we do wind up getting Mr. May Day against Zach Davies, I'd be setting the Dodgers minus 213 on the money line, minus 138 on the run line with a total of an 8.8, which would make an 8 and for less, a take on the over, and a 9 or higher, a take on the under for Dustin May. He has made four starts this season, two against the San Diego Padres and two against the Miami Marlins, and shock, shock, surprise, surprise, he had better results against the Miami Marlins, as in his 10 total innings against the San Diego Padres wound up giving up 9 earned runs, 10 in total, including 3 home runs, so looked shaky there. In his minor league rehab appearances, was getting right around 13 strikeouts per 9 innings, and since coming off the injury list, Zach Davies has actually been really good for the Arizona Diamondbacks in this span. He's been posting up about a 3 ERA. Now he has given up 5 home runs over the course of his last 5 starts, and walks have still been an issue for him, giving up a little bit over 3 walks per 9 innings, and that's a problem when you're someone that's getting only about 6 half strikeouts per 9 innings, and for Zach Davies at home this season. He's been able to do a relatively steady job. 314 home ERA compared to a 485 ERA on the road has really cut down on the deep ball, giving up just four home runs over the course of 51 and two-thirds innings, but this Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, it's not necessarily trustworthy as Kevin Ginkle, Mark Melanson, Caleb Smith, guys like this are posting up north of a 450 ERA. I like Joe Mantiply. He's been able to supply a sub-3 ERA. Ian Kennedy, he's seen his ERA now go up above 4 Reyes. Bonanta has not been too terrific. Keenan Middleton, nearly a 5 ERA. And then for the LA Dodgers, Craig Kimbrell is someone that you don't want to be having any faith in whatsoever. But the lesser guys, Evan Phillips, Caleb Ferguson, Alex Vasilla, They've been able to give an ERA of a 250 or greater. You've been able to even get a couple of solid innings recently out of Chris Martin as well when he wanted coming over from, I believe it was Chicago where he was last. He was not necessarily doing the world's most tremendous job. 216 ERA since coming over to Los Angeles. And for the Dodgers, no question, they're going to have a much better lineup as the Arizona and the Diamondbacks. They've had very interesting home and road splits with regards to power. 1.35 home runs per game on the road. More like 0.85 home runs per game at home. You do have Dalton Varsho and Christian Walker supplying a combined 26 home runs, both hitting in that neighborhood about a 235 to a 241, and you're able to throw in there Emmanuel Rivera overall for the season, but with Rivera since coming over to Arizona, hanging north of a 260 as Ketel Marte said a good job of moving the line. You've had Stone Garrett be really good for the team, entered into yesterday, hitting a 400 in a small sample size. You've also had Jake McCarthy doing a nice job being able to move the line, but for the LA Dodgers, how about Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, all supplying between 19 and 21 home runs, and you've also got Max Muncy with now 19 home runs as well, batting average for he, Cody Taylor, Corey Bellinger, guys like this.
Davis have been a little bit down, obviously. Joey Gallo as well, but you've got Trey Turner hitting a 305 with 24 stolen bases. Freddie Freeman hitting a 330 going into yesterday, and then Mookie Betts at the top of the fold. 34 bombs, hitting a 275. Dustin May still has that great swing and miss stuff. Zach Davies does not have so much swing and miss stuff, and I do think for the Dodgers, they are going to be able to get to Davies and that bad bullpen, so in effort less looking at over 9 or higher to the under. Obviously, numbers will change if it's not Dustin May, but if we do get Dustin May, set the Dodgers minus 213 on the money line, on the run line, a minus 138. 913, 914 on the betting board. The LA Angels head through it face off against the Cleveland Guardians. Cal Quantrill is going to be going for the Guardians, and Patrick Sandoval is going to be on the bump for Los Angeles. This is a game that is presently off the board, but I do have my handicap as I wound up saying the Guardians, in my opinion, as a mid-sized favorite, minus 141 on the money line, and it is a case in which an 8 or less, I would be taking a look at this total over at an 8.5 prior to the under. Cal Quantrill, not going to blow you away at all. He's got about six strikeouts per nine innings, so clearly not going to be one of those guys that is trying to just completely bowl them down, but because he's not focusing a lot on strikeouts and instead is just relying in general on good command, he's been able to go very deep into games. Aside from the calamity rain delays that we've had in his last two starts against the Seattle Mariners, that's a game in which wound up having a four and a half hour rain delay, and there was like a north of an hour rain delay in the Minnesota Twins game going five innings. He's pretty much went six plus innings in every one of his starts post-All-Star break, so that has been very impressive out of Cal Quantrill, and for Quantrill, he's been able to do an incredible job at home this season as well. 334 home ERA, 371 road ERA. This despite the fact that he's actually given up double the amount of home runs at home rather than on the road as well. He's given up 12 home runs at a little bit over 80 innings when he has been at home. Meanwhile, Patrick Sandoval, he has been doing a good job of being able to keep the deep ball down, but he's actually the exact opposite of Cal Quantrill. Does a good job being able to get a little bit over nine strikeouts per nine innings, but the walks, those are a little bit lofty as he's been giving up about 3.6, 3.7 walks per nine innings. Sandoval has been able to do a very good job on the road, though. 277 road ERA, 317 home ERA, giving up just three home runs in 61 and two-thirds innings when he has been on the road. Opponents are about a 245 overall off of him, and for the LA Angels, a little bit of a sign of life when it comes to this offense, as you had Mike Trout entering into yesterday with a home run in seven straight games. He has been absolutely incredible, as he, Taylor Ward, Joey Otani, throw in there David Fletcher, what he has been in the fold is. I know that he's been a little bit banged up along with Luis Renifo. Only between about a 265 to 280. Taylor Ward, poor salsa break has been bad, but Otani and Trout both 30-plus home runs out of these guys. Now, bottom of the fold, guys like Mickey Monick, Joe Adele, Andrew Velasquez, Kurt Suzuki, they have been hitting a 225 or lower. And for the Cleveland Guardians, you're going to have a batter two at the bottom of the fold, like Miles Straw, that's not able to hit, but you've been able to have a lot of guys moving the line, despite the fact that the Guardians, they are dead last in the big leagues in terms of home runs per game at home. They've got plenty of guys that are able to move the line. You've had Jose Ramirez be the main guy going deep for this team, right around 26, 27 home runs, over 100 RBI. And then you've had Josh Naylor along with Andre Jimenez supply 16 to 17 home runs apiece with Naylor hitting about a 265. But then Jimenez along with Ramirez, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, throwing their Steven Kwan and mid Rosario Oscar Gonzalez, all hitting at least a 275 for this bunch. Owen Miller has been able to move the line as well. For the Guardians, top bullpen ERA in the big leagues post-Ulster break. James Karen, Chakabay, Nicolas A. 
They're right now the best 8th and ninth inning duo going in baseball right now. And then on top of that, Daniel De Los Santos, Nick Sandlin, Trevor Steven, all guys supplying a sub-3 ERA flip side for the LA Angels. Jose Quiata has been a little bit better for the team. Andrew Wants has been able to give you a couple good innings. And then Jimmy Ergett, been impressed by him. 244 ERA and the LA Angels may be able to shape up a little bit with their bullpen, but certainly not on the same level as the Cleveland Guardians. I do think that Kyle Quantrill, someone who's been, in my opinion, a little bit lucky on the balls hit and play, is probably going to see a little bit regression, but I do think that he's going to keep rolling. I think that the Angels going to be able to scrape across a couple runs, so eight or less looking in and over eight and a half higher to the under and set the Guardians minus 141 on the money line. As we go 9-15, 9-16 on the banking board, the Houston Astros they're in the road, they're facing off against the Detroit Tigers as Christian Javier is going to be going for the Astros and Joey Wentz, he's going on the bump for the Tigers and the Tigers between plus 220 and plus 225 underdogs and between minus 250 and minus 260 is the number on the Astros Minus 150 is the run line on the Astros, by the way. I'll just give that out right now. Total on this game is 8. The over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. And when it comes to the Tigers, I needed at least a plus 238 to be able to take a shot on them. This is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the run line of the Astros because I do think that Christian Javier could be able to go out there and completely dominate. He's been able to register over 11 strikeouts per nine innings for Javier. If he does have one main concern, it is that he's been giving out the free pass, giving out a little bit over three walks per nine innings, but guy has still been very dominant and has been able to do a solid job of keeping the ball in the yard as well as he's been giving up 1.2 home runs per nine innings his first two seasons at the MLB level. He was giving up more like 1.6 home runs per nine innings, so has been able to do a little bit of a better job on that front. Has been worse on the road than at home. 370 road area compared to a 245 home area, but the good news is he's going up against a Detroit Tigers team that said last in terms of home runs on a per game basis and a Detroit Tigers team that in general they've been dead last in terms of offense all season long as you've got guys like Tucker Barnard, Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Spencer Torkelson, Akil Badu, Cody Clements. You're able to go down the list of guys that are in a 220 or lower. You've had a few guys like a Riley Green being able to move the line but not been terrific on that front and for the Houston Astros they're really starting to find it on offense as well as for the Astros. Now four plus runs for them in each out of their last three games and I believe that it's now five out of their last six as the Astros have been a little bit touch and go in terms of the offense but you're noticing that our good friend Jordan Alvarez has been able to really get back to his self from the first half as second half of the season he's been dealing with a few ailments but now he's went deep in two out of the last three games multi-game in both of the games in this series thus far and then behind him you've got Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve also playing at least 20 home runs Tucker he's up to 26 home runs this season. He and Alex Bregman in between about a 260 to 270. Jose Altuve, he's been able to 290. You've got LMNDC is now back in full prior to him going on the injured list. He was starting to get hot and for the Detroit Tigers, bullpen has went down the toilet bowl. Ever since the beginning of the month of August, this has been a bottom seven bullpen in terms of ERA after it was really a top eight bullpen prior to that. Alex Lang has not been able to do a terrific job. Daniel Norris, he's had his issues as well. You still have guys like Jose Cicerno, Andrew Chaffin doing a solid job, but for the Houston Astros, they also back up Christian Javier with arguably the best bullpen in the MLB. Rafael Montero, Brian Abreu, Ryan Stanek. They're all posting up a sub-3 ERA along with Seth Martinez, who has been able to provide some good length as well. Even someone like a Phil Maton has been able to do a good job being able to hold down the fourth. So I do think that this should be domination by the Houston Astros against someone in Joey Wentz that did not really impress me at the minor league level. He's gotten a few starts at the major league level, and it's not giving up a home run in 13 and a third innings. It's also not really lent a lot of length, four innings or fewer, 
in two out of his three starts thus far this season. Not a guy that's going to light up the radar gun. Ten strikeouts in 13 and a third innings. I do think that the young gun, well, he is not going to be a gunning in this spot. I do want to say my total at an 8.3. I think that the Astros get to Mr. Wentz. And for the Tigers, they've been a little bit more respectable on offense, on history in this series. But in their previous series, they entered into this one having scored four plus runs in four out of their last five games as well. So set my total at an 8.3 looking over and looking at the Astros on the run line. 917-918 on the bank board. The Tampa Bay Rays are on the road facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Ross Tripling. He goes for the Jays and Drew Rasmussen is on the bump for the Rays as the Rays are finding themselves as slight underdogs. You're going to be getting them anywhere between a plus 102 and minus 105 number and in between minus 105 minus 120 is the price on Toronto. 8 is the total over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 and when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays I do wind up saying them as a minus 127 favorite. I do think that you can't scoff at the fact that they are having a little bit of home field advantage now was a bit of a calamity when it came to the double dip because Alec Manoa wanted getting scratch in game number one. He was dealing with a little bit of a tummy bug and then wanted coming out and wanted pitching in game two but for the Toronto Blue Jays they certainly have the better lineup in this circumstance as you've got George Springer, Boba Shett, Flagger Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman all supplying at least 19 home runs and really other than Chapman, everyone's hitting above a 255 in this lineup. Alejandro Kirk, he's been able to 295. They have been dealing with an injury to Lourdes Gurriel so you've been noticing guys like Jackie Bradley Jr. and Kevon Biggio getting a few more at-bats but still very formidable Toronto Blue Jays team against a Tampa Bay Rays team in which you only have two guys that have been able to give you more than 10 home runs this season. That would be Isaac Paredes and Randy Arena. and for Isaac Paredes, Jose Siri throwing their huge Chang and even Taylor Walls. These guys are hitting at 220 or lower. You do have guys towards the top that do a great job of being able to move the line. Juan Franco, he's been able to give you a 265 average. G-Man Choi has not necessarily been there with regards to the average, but more like a 340 on base. Randy Arena, I mentioned, is hitting about a 270. And then Harold Ramirez has been hitting above 300. Manuel Margot has moved the line, but both teams, I do have a lot of faith in their bullpens. Both of these teams, they did wind up having to use up quite a bit of their bullpen because there was a double dip yesterday, but Jason Adam, he's been able to supply a sub-2 ERA. JT Turquois has not necessarily been himself since coming off the injured list, but Pete Fairbanks, Jalen Beeks, Colin Pooch, Brooks Raley, all providing a sub-3 ERA, and then you've got on the flip side for the Blue Jays, Yimi Garcia, Anthony Bass, throwing their David Phelps, Tim Meza, all these guys providing about a sub-3 ERA of their own, and then Jordan Romano has been able do a good job at the closer spot. And for Ross Stripling, he has not been blowing away guys by any stretch of the imagination with a bunch of strikeouts, but he's just been a steady pitcher that has been able to do a good job of being able to keep the ball in play, giving up 0.8 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine rate, that's in the neighborhood about 1.6 to 1.7 with a 284 ERA overall this season at home. It's given up a little bit over a home run per nine innings, but not necessarily going up against a mashing raised team. And then for Drew Rasmussen, he does have a 322 road ERA compared to a buck 97 ERA at home. He has gone up against Toronto three times, and he has, quite honestly, been very good against the Jays. He has given up four runs, three of which were earned at 16 and a third inning, so credit where credit is due on that front, but when it comes to Drew Rasmussen, I've been very impressed by him recently, posting up a buck 44 ERA in his last five starts. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of negative regression with him as well, because he is someone that he gets about eight strikeouts per nine innings, a little bit higher than that. His walks per nine rate has been a 
a little bit above too. I think that Zerpling is going to be able to hold in with Rasmussen. I do think that the better lineup of the Blue Jays prevails in this circumstance. So I did wind up saying my total at an 8.1 here at the 8. I'm willing to take a look at the over and with the Blue Jays in a relative pick game. Willing to lay it with them. Was willing to lay up to a minus 127. 919, 920 on the betting board. It is the New York Yankees. They're on the road. They're facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Nestor Cortez is going to be going for the Yankees. And you've got Brian Bayo who's going to be on the bump for the Red Sox. And the Red Sox, they are underdogs of anywhere between plus 110 to plus 115. Anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130. The number on the Yankees sign is the total. The under is minus 120 and the over is even. And with the Yankees, I do think that they should be a bit more of a favorite. I was willing to go up to a little bit north of a minus 140 on them. I officially wanted making them minus 144. And with Brian Bale, he did a very good job at the minor league level. And you take a look at the advanced summers. He got incredibly unlucky in his first few starts of the season. And that's starting to show through. He's actually given up zero home runs in 37 and a third innings, but has also given up three-plus runs in darn near all but two of his starts thus far. So that is a bit of an issue for our good friend, Mr. Bayo. He's got a 579 ERA, but since he has resurfaced at the major league level over the last three days, 354 ERA. That's more of what I think we can expect out of Bayo. Bayo has been giving up the walks as his walks per nine rate hovers in the neighborhood of five, but still has been able to do a solid job being able to get some swings and misses. And then for Nestor Cortez, it's not as he been the same on the road as he has been at home, but still saw 315 road ERA compared to a 234 ERA at home. What has really been hurting him on the road has been the deep ball, giving up 11 home runs in 65 and two-thirds innings. He has pitched once against Boston this season, gave up four runs in three and two-thirds innings as the Yankees in general. They have been giving up runs upon runs against this Boston Red Sox team, but where the Yankees do have a big leg up, that would be in the bullpen. Now, Garrett Cole wanted getting lit up yesterday by the Boston Red Sox. There is no shocker there, so the bullpen did wind up getting a little bit more use than expected, but since he's come over to the Yankees, Lou Trevino has been solved for the team. He, Wandy Peralta, and I'm talking about Trevino in only a Yankees uniform. Ron Medanakio, despite his struggles, Clay Holmes, Lucas Ludke, all these guys supplying a sub-3-2 ERA, and then for the Boston Red Sox, this is the worst team in terms of bullpen ERA in the big league since the All-Star break, as you've got Edward Bazzardo, Ryan Brazier, Matt Barnes, Jersich Familia, Caleb Ward, all posting up north of five ERAs. I like what I've seen out of Matt Strand this season with right around three ERA. Garrett Woodbuck is able to give you multiple innings, and John Driver has been able to do a relatively solid job as well. And for the Boston Red Sox, they move the line in terms of the offense as Rafael Devers, Alex Verdugo, Christian Arroyo, only north of a 280 for this team. And for Devers, he's really the only guy that has been a consistent home run hitter for the team all year long, over 25 home runs. Tommy Pham, Trevor Story, they're in between about 16 to 17 home runs apiece. But you do have still guys like Akike Hernandez, Tristan Casas towards the bottom of the fold. They have not been able to do like a lot. And for the New York Yankees, it's just all about Aaron Judge at this point. Judge has a chance at the Triple Crown. 55 home runs, hitting above a 300 that has been tremendous. And Flavor Torres has been able to help out his cause a little bit north of 20 home runs, hitting for about a 240. And John Carlos Sand, he's got north of 25 home runs as well. But the problem for John Carlos Sand is he and Josh Donaldson, they're in the fold of about a 215 to a 225. Aaron X, the much maligned Aaron X, has not been able to do a lot this season for the Yankees. 
Marwin Gonzalez got a home run for them, but he's not necessarily a guy that you can rely upon for that night in and night out. So I do trust in Nancy Nesser to be able to give a good start for the Yankees. And if there is a spot for the Yankees offense to be able to bust out, it is against the Red Sox with a younger pitcher and Mr. Bale, coupled with this bad bullpen. I did wind up saying my total at a 9.3. So looking at the over, and I'm looking to lay it here with the Yankees. 921, 922 on the betting board. It is the Kansas City Royals. They throw out. They're facing off against the Minnesota Twins as Sonny Gray is going to be going for the Twins and Zach Greinke is on the bump for the Royals. The Royals are a sizable underdog, I guess. You're getting them between plus 170 and plus 175, anywhere between minus... 190 and minus 205. Your price on Minnesota 7.5 is the total, the over, and the under. And between minus 105, minus 115, seeing a straight 8 out there as well with the 8. The under is minus 125, and the over is plus 105. So by 2.0 and 8.2. So I'm going to be exploring an over in this circumstance. And for Zach Granke, it's just so critical to take a look at the home and road splits with them because Zach Granke has been masterful when he's been in Kansas City. Buck 93, all right. 11 starts. He's given up one home run at home this season. 13 bombs and 54 innings on the road with an ERA of a 6.33. So that is not too terrific when he's faced off against Minnesota. It's been milk toast. Seven earned runs allowed in 15 innings, 4.20 ERA. Nothing great, nothing terrible. He has been tagged with the loss in all three of them, by the way. So the Minnesota Twins, you know, in those starts. And for Sonny Gray, strikeout numbers a little bit down with him this season. He's been registering about nine strikeouts per nine innings, but he's been able to keep the ball in the yard, especially when he has been at home, giving up six home runs in 60 and two-thirds innings when he has been at home. Opponents are hitting just a 220 off of him in Minnesota, 297 ERA at home. So he's been able to do a nice job on that front. And for the Minnesota Twins, I love Yohan Duran for this bullpen. Sub-2 ERA. He's able to throw 100 miles per hour. They pick up Ori Lopez at the trade deadline. It's been a little bit shaky with the Minnesota Twins, but still a relatively good piece. Giovanni Morin has been able to give nearly a 2 ERA as well. Trevor McGill has had his issues recently, north of a 5 ERA over the last 30 days, but by and large, it's a Minnesota Twins bullpen that's a whole heck of a lot more reliable than the Kansas City Royals. As the Royals, they've got the worst bullpen ERA in the American League this season. Colin Sider, Anthony Machevich, Luke Weaver, they're posting up north of a 5-ERA. Carlos Hernandez has been a flame out. Amir Garrett has not been good. Dylan Coleman, Scott Barlow, they've got sub-3 ERAs. But for the Kansas City Royals, you don't have a lot of consistency with this offense either. Got a pair of guys who have between 19 and 20 home runs this season in Salvador Perez and Bobby Wood Jr. Both are hitting between about a 242-250, by the way, with Salvador Perez really picking it up towards the second half of the season by guys like Nick Prado, Kyle Isbell throwing their Donovan Waters, guys like this hitting a 215 or lower towards the bottom of the fold. That has not been good. Vinny Pescantino coming back. That is good for the Kansas City Royals team. And what is good for the Minnesota Twins is that they've got a lot of guys that are able to move the line. Jose Miranda, Carlos Correa, Nick Gordon, all in between about a 275 to 280. Luis Arias has been one of the best table setters in all of baseball with a 380 on base. Gilberto Celestino has been able to do a solid job moving the line for this team. They have been without Byron Buxton along with Ore Polanco. Both of these guys have been really the two top home run hitters for this team aside from Carlos Correa who entered into Tuesday with 19 bombs. But still, I think that you're going to get more than enough offense from this Minnesota Twins team. They're one of the best teams at being able to reach base in general. So I did find him saying the Twins as a $2 favorite on the money line, on the run line. I was willing to go up to a minus 111 because you got a guy in Zach Greinke who has really had his road struggles right now. You're finding that Twins run line right around a plus 110. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Minnesota Twins on the run line. So I might talk a little bit north of 8. So going to be taking a look at an over as well. 923, 924 on the betting board. It is the Oakland A's. They throw it. They're facing off against the Texas Rangers. Dane Dunning hopes to be stunning Dunning for the Rangers and J.P. Sears is on the mound 
for the A's. The A's are underdogs of between plus 130 and plus 135. Between minus 140 and minus 155 is the number on Texas. 7.5 to 8 is the total on the 8. Under is between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is between even and minus 110. On the 7.5, over is between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is between even and minus 105. And with the Rangers, I set them minus 192 on the money line. And the big reason why I want to making the Rangers such a demonstrative favorite. Dane Dunning has been terrific at home. And on the road, he has been terrible. Last season, he wound up having home and road splits to where his road ERA was 3 point higher than his home ERA, and this season it's a little bit more tame, but it's still very demonstrative. 335 home ERA, 562 ERA on the road. This despite the fact that his home runs per nine rate at home is relatively on par with what it is on the road, and he's just been able to keep the ball in the yard, and this ballpark is very suited to him. 230 batting average for opponents when he's at home. It's more like a 312 when he's on the road. Meanwhile, for J.P. Sears, he was getting incredibly lucky going into his last start against the Chicago White Sox, and the Chicago White Sox just completely tattooed him as he wanted giving up six runs and he lasted two innings. That was not necessarily too terrific as for the season. He's given up six home runs of 51 and a third innings. And I think that he's a candidate for having very big home and road splits. When he was at the minor league level, he was getting a lot of strikeouts. This season at the big league level, he's only been able to get right around 6.2 strikeouts per nine innings. I think that's going to be coming along with time. And right now he's got a 255 road ERA compared to a 374 home ERA. Some of those starts wanted coming while he was with the New York Yankees, but... I think that he is a regression candidate, especially on the road, as he's allowing a lot of contact in general. And for Texas, got a lot of guys that are able to take you deep, as Marcus Simeon, Adelise Garcia, Nate Lowe, Corey Seager. All guys with at least 20 home runs this season, as Simeon, you're able to throw in there Garcia and Seager. Only between about a 245 to 250. Nate Lowe, he's been able to above a 300. Leody Javaris, done a good job of moving the line. He and Bubba Thompson, hanging between about a 275 290 and for the Oakland A's among guys with at least 50 at bats this season you got one guy hitting above 250 and that would be Sean Murphy as Murphy and Seth Martinez these guys have been able to do a solid job they've been able to hit 38 39 home runs this season so they've done a good job there and then they might have a little bit of something in Dermis Garcia it's been a small sample size for him but in his incredibly small sample size he's got three home runs he's hitting about a 285 and it's very heartening because you got guys like Jonah Bride, Jeldon Noisy, Nick Allen, Christian Bachet that are able to get on base. They aren't necessarily providing a lot in terms of batting average. They don't draw walks. There's not a lot of redeeming qualities there. And for the A's, they've been dealing with some injuries when it comes to the bullpen as well. It's Danny Jimenez is currently on the injured list. Zach da- Jackson as well. So you're looking at A.J. Puck, Sam to just continue to go out there and hold down the fortnight and the night out as both of these guys have been tremendous. But you can tell that they're getting a little bit overused. And then you get to guys like Norge Ruiz, Kirby Sneed, guys with north of a five year, and it's not too terrific for the Texas Rangers. Their bullpen has not been terrific second half of the season either. Dennis Santana has seen his ERA go north of five. Asus Sunoco is someone that they're looking to for innings so far, so good out of him. But John King, north of four ERA. Jonathan Hernandez has been all over the place. Taylor Hearn, the long guy, is hopping good. Brack Burke, along with Matt Moore. Both of these guys have been terrific, but I do think that Dane Dunning, he's going to be able to give one of his good home performances in this circumstance. So I am willing to lay a big number on the range. I set them minus 190 on the money line. You're getting them plus 135 on the run line. I think that that is very solid value because I do think that the A's are going to have a very tough time being able to get to Mr. Dunning. Did wind up saying my total at 
7.7. I would personally rather have a 7.5 over rather than an 8 under. So if you're able to get a 7.5 over, and I'm seeing a couple in Las Vegas, and I'm seeing a couple 8s, it's pretty much a 50-50 market. But would rather have a 7.5 over personally because I do think that the Rangers take Sears deep a few times, and I'm going to be willing to take the look at the Rangers on the run line. 925-926 on the board. The Seattle Mariners, they play OC San Diego Padres. says Mike Levenger is going to be going for the Padres and Luis Castillo. He is on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. And the Mariners, not a shocker here. They're finding themselves as a favorite as getting them any between minus 150 and minus 155. Between plus 135 and plus 140 is the number on San Diego. 7.5 is your total. The under is any between minus 115 to a minus 120. And the over is any between even and minus 105. I set my total at 7.3, so here at the 7.5, I'm going to be taking a look at the under for the Padres. The pieces that they picked up at the trade deadline just have not been able to come together. Josh Bell, since coming over from Washington, he's been hitting about a 205. You haven't been able to get the deep ball going with Juan Soto as well. Brandon Drury has been out quite a bit after he wound up getting hit in the helmet by a pitch from Dustin May, so that has not necessarily been a great ordeal there. You've got Awesome Kim, Will Myers... Austin, Nola, Drixen, profiling between about a 240 to 250, but you need a little bit more than that. Manny Machado, he's went deep 28 times. He's been hitting a 300. He's really been the lone constant for this team. And now for the Seattle Mariners, three old guys with at least 23 home runs. Cal Raleigh, Julio Rodriguez, and Eugenio Suarez. And Suarez, I believe since the beginning of the 2018 season, actually has the most home runs in the big leagues of any player. He has been absolutely tremendous. And what has been even more tremendous than that, the bullpen of the Seattle Mariners. Since the beginning of the month of July, they've got the top bullpen in terms of ERAs, we've got Andres Munoz, Paul Seawald, throw in there Eric Swanson, all posting up a sub-3 ERA. Penn Murphy has been in that fold. You've been able to get good innings out of Matt Brash since he has went to the bullpen as well. And for Luis Castillo, what has always been a little bit of an issue for him has been the walks, and he's actually been able to shape up a little bit on that front this season as he still is giving up his fair share of walks, but overall for the season, right around about 2.7, 2.8 walks per nine innings. He's given up right around 0.8 home runs per nine innings, and since the trade deadline acquisition was made, he has been tremendous, posting up a 270 ERA. His strikeouts per nine rate has actually been a little bit lower with the Seattle Mariners, but the strikeout to walk rate has been a 5.1 and then for Mike Clevenger, he's been very average this season, a 413 ERA. He's given up 1.4 home runs per nine innings. That has really been the main bugaboo for him. He has been taken deep quite a few times. He's walks per nine rate that is in the neighborhood of about a 2.8 to a 2.9, so nothing great, nothing terrible on that front, but I do think that with Padres, having Nabal Crisman out of the fold, that hurts him quite a bit. He has been one of the better bullpen pieces, especially with Josh Hader not doing a good job to say the least for this team. Craig Salmon, he is fresh off the injured list. That should be able to help out this bullpen. He's got a 350 area overall. Robert Suarez has been okay along Steven Wilson, but this is not necessarily a Padres bullpen that you want to trust in. Post all-star break. They have been towards the bottom 10 in the big leagues in terms of bullpen here. So that is an issue, and especially with Mike Clevenger getting trotted out there. Not an ideal circumstance. I did wind up saying the Mariners, as a result, minus 154 in terms of the money line. In the run line, I was willing to take them as long as I was getting a plus 132 or greater. I'm seeing a plus 140. I'd rather take a shot on the run line. I do think that you're going to have Luis Castillo give a good start. It's been a highly suspect San Diego team all season long. I did wind up saying my total is 7.3, so here are the 7.5 looking at the under and my current numbers. I'd be taking a look at the run line of Seattle. 927-928 is going to be the DK Nation pick as you've got the Washington Nationals playing also Baltimore Orioles. Tyler Wells hopes to pitch Wells for the Orioles and bad 
Patrick Corbin, the good old turkey tosser, is going to be on the bump for the Washington Nationals. We're finding this total at an 8.5 with regards to the juice of the 8.5. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Baltimore between a minus 135 to a minus 145 favorite and between plus 115. And seeing as high as plus 134 is the number on Washington. And this number needs to go way up for me to even consider the Washington Nationals as I wound up setting Baltimore as a minus 183 favorite. But the DK Nation pick, it is going to be on the over as Patrick Corbin. He looked like the Patrick Corbin of old in his last start. Not a shocker there as he has been terrible all season long. Now, I will say this for Patrick Corbin. He's been able to do a little bit of a better job at home rather than on the road, but it's still relatively grody. Especially when you throw in there that the Washington Nationals got three innings out of Mr. Corey Abbott at the start yesterday as for Corbin getting back to his home in the road splits 494 home ERA compared to a 783 ERA on the road overall for the season. He's been giving up about 1.7 home runs per nine innings, about a three walks per nine rate, and opponents are in a 322 off of him. Now, credit where credit is due in his last five starts, a 377 ERA overall. I don't think that this is going to be lasting as his last start against Baltimore. He gave up three runs, only lasted four innings. He can't do that this time around with how much the Washington Nationals had to rely upon their bullpen and the Baltimore Orioles. They certainly have more in their bullpen that they're able to bank upon as all these guys have posted up a 3-3 ERA or better. Enjoy Crebio, CNL Perez, Dylan Tate, Keegan Aiken. So you've got a lot of guys that are able to come out of the bullpen do a solid job for the team, and then when it comes to what you're going to be able to get from Tyler Wells, that is a little bit more of a question mark because Wells, they might have spending quite a bit of time on the injured list coming back for his last start against the Toronto Blue Jays on the 7th. Going two innings, got to figure that this is going to be sort of an ease them back sort of thing, and the good news is you do have someone like a Keegan Aiken that's able to give you multiple innings, but for Wells, 376 road ERA, 409 home ERA, and the big thing for Wells is he's been able to do a good job of just being able to keep the walks down, 2.3 walks per nine he does allow about 1.3 home runs per nine innings. So, and this is a Washington Nationals team that they've been able to do a good job on offense themselves. It's a Washington Nationals bunch that wound up scoring five plus runs in eight out of their last 12 games entering into the game that we wound up seeing on Tuesday. And they were able to get some runs generated yesterday as well as Joey Manessis has been able to give this team a breath of life. He is a journeyman minor leaguer that has come up hitting a 330 for the team and then got a lot of guys from there able to move the line as Alex Call, Lane Thomas. These are guys in between about a 245 to 255 along Keybetter Wees. Been able to get a little bit of something out of Nelson Cruz as well. CJ Abrams is starting to find his way as well. Not necessarily a ton of firepower outside of the 19 home runs that you've got out of Luke Voigt, but for the Baltimore Orioles, good balance with this lineup as well. Well, Ryan Mountcastle, he's only been able to hit about a 200 post-also break, but he winds up going deep for his 22nd home run season yesterday. Anthony Santander, he's got 27 home runs this season. These two gentlemen, Adelie Rushman, Ramon Urias, Ryan McKenna, Austin Ace, only between about a 245 to a 255. Cedric Mullins at the top. He's been able to 265 as Mullins and Ode Mateo. They're in the top five in the American League in terms of stolen bases. And for Mateo, he's been hitting north of a 250 post all-star break as well. So I do think that runs certainly going to be up on the board, especially with Tyler Wells being a question mark as to how far he's going to be going in this game. Patrick Corbin has been giving it up all season long, and the Nationals have kicked up with their lineup as well. So the DK Nation pick is going to be 
be on the over. I think that the Orioles are going to be able to get it done in a relatively high-scoring game. I was willing to lay a little bit of a number when it came to the Orioles' run line. Right now, we're finding them at between a plus 115 to a plus 120 on that run line. Going to take that run line. DK Nation pick going to be on the over. We wrap things up with 929-930 on the board. It is the Chicago White Sox playing out to the Colorado Rockies as Kyle Freeland is on the bump for the Rocks. And Dylan Cease goes for the White Sox. White Sox between minus 239 and minus 240 favorites. Meanwhile, between plus $2 and plus $2.15 is the number on Colorado. 7-7.5 is the total on the 7 overs, minus 115. The under is minus 105 on the 7.5. Under is minus 120. The over is even. And I made my total a 7.3. Would rather have a 7.5 under rather than a 7 over personally. We shall see how this winds up moving overnight. But with Dylan Cease, he is back in the running in terms of the Cy Young Chase, and he has been incredible for this team. Very nearly threw a no-hitter two starts ago. Last start against the Oakland A's. He was able to do a solid job on that front as well. What has been interesting about Dylan Cease is he's been significantly better on the road than he has been at home. 239 home area, which is still really good, but a puck 63 area on the road as 10 out of the 14 home runs that he's allowed this season have on it coming at home, but opponents overall are hitting a buck 84 off of him. If you've got one concern with Dylan Cease, it is the walks. He's been giving up about 3.5 walks per 9 innings. That has lowered to 3 walks per 9 innings in his last 5 starts. In his last 2 starts, there's not a lot of single run. He has been able to do an absolutely amazing job and Close up against Elmond and Kyle Freeland that has been better on the road than he has been at home. One of the rarities for this Scott Rider Rockies team as it feels like every Rockies player plays better at home rather than on the road. But a 346 road ERA, 574 ERA at home. He's given up on the road about one home run per nine innings. Opponents are at 253 off of him, so he's been able to hold down the fort. You do have a bunch of Rockies players, though, as I just alluded to. On the road, they don't perform the same as at home. Alex Calme, his ERA is nearly two points higher on the road rather than at home. Denelson Lamette has not been able to find his home in the bullpen. And Justin Lawrence has not been great. And then for the Chicago White Sox, shouldn't necessarily need to dive too deep into the bullpen, but Reynaldo Lopez, along with Jimmy Lambert, pair of failed starters. They've got a sub-3-1 ERA in the bullpen. Kendall Graveman, along with William Hendricks, have been good as an 8th and ninth inning duo. And they face the Colorado Rockies team that they've got the most of sponsorship, home and road offensive numbers in baseball as they average a little bit over 1.1 home runs per game at home. 0.6 home runs per game on the road as you got a bunch of guys that have just seen a fall off with regards to their numbers when they're on the road like CJ Krohn for example at home. He has been able to crank out 20 home runs this season. He has been able to do a tremendous job hitting about a 300 at home. 234 on the road with 7 home runs. Uh, that's a big fall off. Someone like Randall Gritchick is hitting right around at 200 when he's on the road. 300 when he's at home and you've got a lot of these cases. And then for the Chicago White Sox, not a lot of power in terms of home runs as you've got Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn throwing there, Luis Robert hitting between 12 and 15 home runs. But all these guys I mentioned throwing there, Jose Abreu, all hitting above a 285. And then you've been able to get some good bats as well out of Romy Gonzalez. He's been able to about a 300 as well. You do have Robert back in full, which that helps out this team as well. Gavin Sheets, he's supplied 12 bombs. He's hitting about a 245 ever since he got picked up. Elvis Sanders has been hitting above a 275 for the Chicago White Sox. So I do think that the White Sox get to Kyle Freeland. I think that Freeland pitches relatively well in the circumstance. So semi total is 7.3 on the 7.5 looking at the under. But for the Chicago White Sox, I think that this is just going to be cease domination. You're finding the run line between a minus 105 to a minus 110. I was willing to lay up to a minus 125. So looking at the White Sox run line and I'm going to be taking a look at the under and that will wrap things up. For the Wednesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the VEASAN family podcast, a big thanks to Jeff Parles of VEASAN for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Podcast Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter 
timeline at GNN Artist 41. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other way, it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you like to hear on this podcast. by that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means I'm going to be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.